you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Malachi. We'll be looking at starting in verse 6 of chapter 1, and we'll be reading all the way through verse 9 of chapter 2. It is also printed there on page 6, 5 and 6 in your bulletin. We're going to continue the series that we started, what has been over a month. Uh, we looked a couple weeks ago at the love of the Lord, the covenant love of the Lord for his people. And now he takes center stage at the covenant worship of his name. So hear the word of the Lord, starting in Malachi 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring is your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared, among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. You may be seated. If you will, please join me as we turn to the Lord and ask his help in understanding this passage. Father God, this is a difficult passage. You speak bluntly. You speak straightforward. 
God, you challenge us in how we honor your name. And so as we come to this, your word, God, would you expose us? Would you rebuke us even, reprove us, so that then you can build us back up to be messengers that you have called us to be who guard and uphold and herald the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hallowed be your name. This is a familiar phrase. It's the first petition of the prayer taught to us by Jesus Christ. Literally, the petition is, let your, God's name, be treated with reverence. This should be one of, if not the, chief aim for each and every follower of Jesus Christ. We long for the name of our triune God to be treated with honor and the reverence that it is due. In describing this petition, our our own catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 190 says, in praying, hallowed be your name, we pray that God would by his grace enable and incline us and others to know, acknowledge, and highly esteem him, his titles, attributes, words, to glorify him in thought, word, and deed, that he would even prevent and remove ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatever is dishonorable to him. Honoring the name of God means fearing him and removing everything else that hinders such fear. And in light of this, as we read this passage, our alarms, our sirens, our bells should all be going off. Because without holding back, the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, comes to his people, particularly his priests, those not only in covenant with him, but called in covenant to minister before him. And he says, where is my honor? Where is my fear? And then again in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, if you will not take it to heart, if you will not give me the honor I am due. And we see that this theme of honor is is the thread, if you will, that sews the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 together. And so if as I was reading, you're thinking, that's a lot to tackle in one sermon. You are absolutely correct. This is a lot to tackle in one sermon. But the emphasis on the fear and the honor of the Lord is so striking through both passages that it's hard to separate them. We see that chapter 1, verses 6 through 4, deals with the failures of the priest and their ministry. And ultimately, their failure was a failure to honor the Lord. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, the Lord pronounces judgment on the priesthood in light of their failure. Their complete disregard for God's honor must be punished. There's no excuse, there's no, but, but we didn't know, we weren't aware Because honoring the Lord was the job of the priests. As we've read in chapter 2, it's the essence of the covenant made with them. Where he says, from the beginning, it was a covenant of fear and he feared me. So all the tasks expected of the priests, and the tasks were many, were ultimately to fulfill this chief task of treating the name of the Lord with the honor and the fear that he deserves. And so therefore, this sermon only then applies to Tim, myself, the elders and the deacons, and anyone else who has a weekly role in worship. That was a joke. Please, you can chuckle. 
Because while the Lord is directly talking to his priest, his ministers, we also know from the New Testament that he calls all of us his priests. We are a royal priesthood, as Peter told the scattered Christians. So all of us need to pay attention. All of us need to heed this word. Because it's to the benefit of our own souls, of our own service, and our own witness. Because the truth is, there is no worship where there is no desire to honor the name of the Lord. Let me say that again. There is no worship where there is no desire to honor the name of the Lord. And the context of worship is where the Lord highlights precisely how the priests have gone wrong. He goes into the temple and what's taking place there. And sure, if you were just to look, you would see the sacrifices are continuing. The rituals are being done. There's instruction. There's leading of the people. And unfortunately, it's all being done with zero regard for the Lord's name. And the the results are disastrous. The outline for you this morning is two points. Each has three sub-points, but we'll get to them. But the first is we're going to look at the failures of the priests. And then second, the fix from the Lord. That's the failures of the priests and the fix of the Lord. And we begin where Malachi does with the failures of the priests. Right away, the Lord hits the priests with their failure. There is no honor. There is no fear. And he uses the language of the fifth commandment to call out his ministers. Because honoring father and mother was a commandment. It was expected. And it would mean honoring all those in authority. The priests would have known this. They would have been teaching this to the people. And yet they, in their instruction, in their actions, failed to honor their superior. The one who called himself Israel's father all the way back before Pharaoh in Exodus 4. And the one who the people would have called Adonai, our covenant lord and master. But worse yet, it's not simply that they were not honoring God's name. They were despising it. Literally showing contempt, hatred for the name of God, the very one they were called to serve. How? Or to use the priest's words, how have we despised your name? Again, they're challenging God's, God's bringing the rebuke before them. And in arrogance, they say, how? Prove it. And so the Lord says, the priests have been offering polluted food upon my altar, blind animals in sacrifice, those that are lame or sick, Those things that have been taken by violence or as lame and sick. There are no ifs, ands, or buts, or loopholes. Such acts like these were wicked. Animals in conditions like this were declared unacceptable throughout the Old Testament law. Most clearly in Leviticus 22, verses 22 through 25, where it says specifically, Animals are to be without blemish. And animals that are blind or disabled or mutilated, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering. And yet here we have the priests willingly accepting these offerings, bringing them to the altar, slaughtering them, and burning them on the altar. And yes, this should make us wonder, what about the people bringing these offerings? Aren't they just as disgraceful? Absolutely. These individuals bringing the lame, the sick, the blind are equally guilty of breaking the law. They are just as 
guilty of despising the name of the Lord as the priests are. But again, the priests knew the law. They guarded the law. They taught the law. They knew they should have rejected these animals. Because the obedi- their obedience and the glory of God was at stake. They should have said, no, turn, sorry, go get another animal. But instead they say, yeah, why not? Let's do this. And in doing so, they profane the Lord's table. Where the priests and the people would gather to feast under the banner of a holy, righteous God. Eating unacceptable animals, evil sacrifices. And so in doing so, and this, this is where it gets even worse, they're actually proclaiming that the Lord himself is polluted. They're saying God is dirty. He's unclean. Are you starting to grasp the gravity of what's going on here? This is serious stuff. So serious, in fact, that God calls these actions evil twice in verse 8. He doesn't pull any punches. He said these sacrifices are evil. They're sin. This is no whoopsie or a mishap. It's a blatant violation of God's law. It profanes his name. It says, literally, that God is worthy of garbage. And these offerings did the very thing that the law in Leviticus 22 aimed to prevent. After it lists the animals, conditions they won't be accepted, he says, and you shall not profane my holy name. The priests had no arguments. They're guilty. God's name was dishonored by their wicked and sinful actions. And it's so bad that the Lord, in verse 10, actually wishes that someone would come and shut the doors of the temple. Close the whole thing down. It's not worth it. I would rather there be nothing going on inside the temple than what is going on inside the temple. Because whatever's going on, it's not worship. So we see these disgraceful actions, but then also we see that the priests themselves held disinterested attitudes. Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. He says, but you profane it, my name, when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. And then in 13, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. The priests have traded the fear of the Lord for complaining and grumbling. Service in the temple is so hard. Do you have any idea what we have to do? The food we eat from the people is always the same. It's either a lamb or a goat or maybe it's a pigeon. The sacrifices are so specific and detail-oriented. It's so hard to do it. And so the priests want more and they want better. They want more leisure in their service. They want better food in their bellies. And so their solution then is to just accept all the offerings, because that's easy, and then call the table despised because the animals are unclean so we can go somewhere else and get something to eat. And if all this sounds confusing and ridiculous, it is confusing and ridiculous. They openly despise the table, while at the same time, and knowingly, they openly and knowingly despise the table, and at the same time ask God, how have we despised you? My human mind can't grasp just the insanity of what they're doing. Because to them, ministry is a tedious burden. 
It's not a service to the Lord and his people. And so in their weariness, they just check out. They're done. Sure, the duties are going to get done, but you don't got to worry about the fear of the Lord. It's absent in their actions. It's absent in their hearts and their minds. It is as far from them as you could possibly be. And then why it's worse is because fear of the people now is gone because there's no fear among the priests. But third, then, we see that the priests live destructive examples. We see this in chapter 2 as the Lord is unfolding his judgment. The priests are not faithful priests. They're a disaster. The Lord sets the standard for them in verses 6 and 7, which we don't have time, but if you, if you will, maybe at the end of today, go back and read Numbers 25, because it likely alludes there. Where if you remember that story, there's one Israelite in a foreign marriage, and there's a plague and an outbreak, and the Levite Phineas goes and renders judgment, and the plague is lifted. And a lot of these words from Malachi 2 are found in that passage. But hear what the Lord says as the standards for his priests. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth, no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Don't get me wrong, being a priest was not an easy task. I'm glad I'm a pastor and not a priest. I don't think I'd do the slaughtering and all that stuff too well. But it was a high calling. It was also a privilege. The relationship between God and his priests, his ministers, was special. It was a covenant. The priests were called to be entirely dependent upon the Lord to meet all their needs through the faithfulness of his people. Because the Lord himself says, I am their inheritance. And so they were to fear the Lord in everything as an example for the people to follow. Therefore, the people would then come willingly, excitingly to the priest to not only learn the letter of the law, but the heart of it. The very words we confessed just a few, moment ago, a few moments ago. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. And the priests would embody this covenant simply by standing in all of God's name as they ministered before the people in the temple. As they turned from their own sin and led the people in turning. As they loved the law and pursued it. And as they lived holy lives in and amongst the people. And sadly and depressingly, we see the priests do the exact opposite. They do a complete 180. The Lord says, but you have turned aside from the way. Worse still, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. Worse still, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. They lived for the honor of themselves. They taught, as verse 9 says, only what would bring them better gifts, better favor, and better accolades. If this law would get the anger of the people, I'm not touching it. I want the good gifts. So I'm going to preach what their itching ears want to hear. And so these men cannot be trusted. It's going to turn out to be devastating for the people, which we're going to see as we continue through this book. They should not be followed. 
because they have utterly failed the covenant God made with their forefather Levi. And so you put all of this into a, into a package. There's disgraceful service, this unclean animals being sacrificed. There's disinterested attitudes. There's destructive examples. It's all bad. It's a zero out of five in every single category in a performance review at work or an assignment for you students. There's no grading on a curve here. And all of it is meant to be a humbling pill for the priest to swallow and a humbling pill for us to swallow, especially those of us called to lead in Christ church. And given the current and past climate surrounding church leadership, particularly in this country, such a humbling word is desperately needed. The stories of the abuses, the failures of church leaders is heartbreaking and seemingly endless. It feels like not a week goes by without some pastor somewhere bringing total dishonor to the name of the Lord. Whether it's sexual immorality, verbal or physical abuse, domineering attitudes, or actions or prideful ambition. And those are just a short list of the many ways church leaders have completely and utterly failed to guard the honor of the Lord. And it should cause all of us to weep for how the Lord's name is despised. How it is proclaiming that our God is polluted. And these leaders should be exposed and brought to bear the consequences of their sin. For the sake of the Lord's honor. But it would be a failure if I simply stopped with the bad leaders out there. Because there are leaders, I didn't say bad, there are leaders in here as well, myself very much included. And as one rabbi says, if the leadership fails, what can the people be expected to do? And so to our leaders, then I ask, where have we failed to lead in and to guard the honor of our God? Where are we guilty of disgraceful service or disinterested attitudes or destructive examples even? How might these describe our service, both public and private? Because the priests weren't one thing in public and one thing in private. They were all bad in public and private. Are we half-hearted or disingenuous in our service? Are we guilty of simply relying upon our theology of worship to do the work for us of leading the people in the honor and fear of the Lord? Are we more likely to complain about the burden of ministry than the joy of service? Are we leading these dear brothers and sisters closer to Christ? And are they growing in holiness because of our faithful service? Or how might our instruction even be partial? What are we unwilling to teach or to emphasize because we fear men just a little bit more than we fear the Lord? And for me, this hit hard because I know I could be guilty to earn the great job in the back afterwards or simply, I just don't want to ruffle any feathers. And again, I'm not accusing, I'm not challenging motives. But I'm asking that we as individual leaders and a corporate body of leaders engage in an honest evaluation. 
Because certainly there have been times when the honor of the Lord is far from our hearts, even if it's on our lips. And for this, we need to repent. Before the Lord and before you, those we've been called to lead. But I am confident, or we also, because our job is, as Isaiah 40 verse 9 says, is when you guys gather together is to tell you to behold your God, to uphold him in all his glory and say, this is your God. Worship him, love him, serve him. But I'm confident I can also say the same thing about the rest of us. How often have you come into worship disinterested or grumbling? It's hard to get up on Sunday mornings, especially if you got kids, especially if you work the day before. How often has your week been utterly void of the things of God? And then as a result, worship is of little or no interest to you. How often are the praises on your lips and the prayers in your heart been in vanity, void of any desire for God's name to be glorified? Or how often do you still come clutching that sin, whatever it is that you simply refuse to mortify, as Tim walked us through a few weeks ago? Or how often have you failed to instruct those who've been placed under your care? Your spouse, your children, fellow brothers and sisters. And again, please hear me, these questions are not to condemn or to burden with guilt. And please know that our God is abundantly gracious with our failed and feeble worship. But it is intended to make all of us pause, consider how often we behave just like these priests. It's easy to say, look at them, they're terrible, without looking at ourselves. Like the priests, we presume that God will be gracious to us even when we care so little for him and his glory. We presume that just showing up for worship is worship. When our hearts and mind are anywhere but this place for the very purpose of worshiping our triune God. So may we humbly let the Holy Spirit expose us, both as individuals and a corporate body, for our failures that mimic those of these priests. Because even in humbly exposing and and, and coming into repentance, we take back up our call to honor our God, to revere him as our father, our master, and our king. And so after looking then at the the failures of the priests, we now turn in chapter 2 to the fix from the Lord. To put it bluntly, judgment is the Lord's fix. Just as the nation of Israel suffered judgment for their covenant infidelity, the priests are going to suffer for theirs. And what exactly does judgment for the priests look like? First, it's a simple, the Lord is going to be honored. This may not exactly sound like judgment, but it is, because look at verse 11. It looks towards the future. It says, for the rise, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. This language comes out of both the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah, where the absolute sovereignty of God is recognized, and there's a confession that one day all will see it, all will recognize it. No one will be without excuse. It confirms that there is a day when pleasing incense and a true spotless offering will be made. 
but it won't be done by the Levitical priesthood. They failed. So hopefully you hear in these words a whisper of what the Lord would tell the woman at the well in John chapter 4. When he tells her, but the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For we know this side of the cross and the empty tomb that this day declared by the prophet Malachi has come. For it was Jesus Christ, not from the priestly line of Levi, but from a completely different priestly order, a better priestly order, who would fulfill the words of verse 6 in chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ gave only true instruction. He spoke no wrong. He walked with his Father in peace and uprightness. And he turned many, all of us sitting here, from iniquity. And it was Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who offered himself as the pure, spotless sacrifice. Shedding his own blood for our forgiveness to cover our failure to honor the name of our God. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, fleshes this out for us. Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And his blood is able then to purify our conscience from dead works, to serve, if you will, to fear the living God. So in judgment, the Lord gives the role and the functions of the priest to one who is worthy, Jesus Christ, his son. And because of this, not only will the name of the Lord be feared and honored forever, but all who trust and rest in this sacrifice of this priest will be saved. So we can rest assured that all of our failures to worship as we should are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That all the ways that we have despised the name of our Lord, and there are many, are forgiven in his sacrifice. We are now able to worship in spirit and in truth, not by our best efforts or our intentions, but the perfect obedience of our great high priest. So the Lord says, I will be honored. My name will be great. And people will turn from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language through Jesus Christ the true high priest. But second, after he says, I will be honored, he also says there's going to be hardship. Both for the priests and the people, the Lord is not going to listen or even receive their worship. He's not going to pour out his blessing upon them. Instead, in faithfulness to his covenant, he's going to bring curses. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. Well, this, is a, this is a sarcastic, if you will, question that the Lord asks. Entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? He's not calling for repentance here. That's coming in chapter 3. Because it flows right out of the challenge of go bring those sacrifices to your governor and see what he does. Anticipating the governor to close the door in their faces. And so when the Lord says here in verse 9, give it to me and see what happens, it's not a repentance. It's, I'm not taking it. And notice how the language is very ironic. Not ironic. Ironic. Favor can also mean face. And to be gracious to us is the blessing that Aaron was called to pronounce upon the people. 
the people should no longer expect the covenant blessings of the Lord. Blessings like the abundance of crops, fruitful vines reproducing uh, livestock, and other blessings found through covenant obedience. They should expect curses. And Malachi 2.2 actually says they're already here. He says, indeed, I have already cursed them. The flocks are not producing. The vines are not producing. Who does that hurt in addition to the people? The priests. They want better food, they're going to get less. They want better food, they're going to get dry-rotted food. All Israel would suffer hardship and curse, due in large part to the failure of the priests to honor the name of the Lord. And it would continue as long as the priest failed to do what the Lord asked, to take it to heart, to give honor to my name. But lastly, and likely worst of all, we see that the priests are going to be humiliated. The Lord uses probably the most graphic language here in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, I will curse your blessings. Behold, I rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offspring, offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. As if it's already, what we've heard isn't already hard enough to stomach, the very blessings that the priests pronounce, the benedictions at the end of the service, instead of bringing blessing, they would bring curse. Fruitlessness, if they declared it on the people, would bring barrenness. Plenty would bring want. Blessings of security would only bring instability. And the list goes on and on and on. Because just as the people couldn't trust in the priest instruction, neither could they trust in their pronouncements of blessing. In fact, they should expect if a blessing is pronounced, we better buckle up. And if that's not humiliating enough, public exposure was going to happen. Before all the people, right there, pronouncing blessing that would be cursed is a public humiliation. But we see it most strikingly in all this, this talk of dung. For those unfamiliar, a sacrificial animal, before it could be sacrificed, the dung had to be removed and taken outside the camp and burned. And only being as crass as Malachi is crass, the priest would be treated like dung. They'd be smeared on their faces, they'd be taken outside and removed. And chapter 2 closes with this harsh reality for the priests. I will make you despised and abased before all the people. You see, the Lord's turning the tables for and on the priests. Because they despised him, he would despise them. Because they polluted his name, he would pollute theirs. And again, this is a devastating and humiliating word of judgment. It explicitly and graphically demonstrates just how serious the Lord takes the honor of his name. And it holds out such a call for us that we would have similar zeal and passion for the name and the honor of our God. And as I've already fleshed out, thankfully for those of us who are in Christ, judgment for our failure has already been rendered. Christ took that with him on the cross. And so then let us rest in his work and the power of his spirit. Because his spirit alone is the one who can stir our hearts with a deep love for and a pursuit of the fear of God. The spirit alone is the one who will apply the finished work of Christ on our behalf so that when we fail, and we will fail, we can also know we'll be forgiven. 
there will be mercy for us. And he alone is the one who enables us to worship in spirit and in truth, to honor the Lord, to join the nations in declaring that God is a great king, our great king. Because history is littered with the stories of countless churches that have closed their doors. And while the particulars may vary, I am convinced that most essentially boil down to a loss of the fear of the Lord. Whether in their teaching they have not feared the Lord, their leadership they have not feared the Lord, in their service they have not feared the Lord, you name it, the honor of the Lord was replaced with something else or disregarded altogether. Brothers and sisters, may that not be for us. May we never trade the fear of the Lord for anything. May we never abandon our call to honor the great name of our God in everything that we do leaders and lay people alike. May we be consumed with zeal and passion for the honor of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may it flow out in everything that we do. May God never ask us, where is my honor? Where is my fear? And if he is asking, let us be humble and listen and take it to heart to not be like the priests to see the ways that we are guilty of dishonoring his name. And then let us return to him. Let us seek his face. Let us live for the fear and the honor of our God above all else here in this place. For this pursuit, the honor and the fear of the Lord is where blessing flows. This is where our hearts are fixed from dishonoring his name to glorying, to bringing glory to his name. Hallowed be your name was the desire of Christ, and it's the desire for all of his people. It should be their passion and their aim as it was his own. In a moment, we're going to sing the familiar hymn, hopefully familiar to all of us, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The lyrics are printed in the bulletin, or they're there for you in the hymnal, but parts of it read like this. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And then prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave or dishonor the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. This hymn captures well both our desire and our failure. We want hearts tuned to sing to the honor and the glory of our God. And sadly, our hearts so often sing our own praises, seek our own honor, or wander from our God-created and God-given task. But praise God that he honors such desperate pleas for him to tune our hearts. Please to help us worship him in Christ. Because he will give us a love for his name, a seeking of his honor, a fearing of him. So let us learn from the failures of his priests. Let us heed his word as harsh as it may seem or as uncomfortable as it may leave us in this moment. Because there is no worship where there is no desire to honor the name of our God. Let us pray. Our great God, we confess that we are failures. Daily and weekly we fail to honor your name. 
whether it's in our, our service, our attitudes, or the examples we set, God, we are guilty. But we thank you and we plead Christ on our behalf. That he, our great high priest, is that perfect sacrifice and is the one who enables us to worship you and to give you the honor that you are due. May you help us by your spirit to be the messengers that you have called us to be. Messengers to one another, messengers to our communities, messengers to a world so desperately needing your mercy and your grace. Empower us by your spirit. Give us a zeal and a passion for your name and your name alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.